You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. As per the last couple of weeks, I'm sharing a final account statement in the show notes. If you're getting towards the end of a project or a package, the attached template will be really useful to you. So just go down to the show notes and you'll see that. In the studio today, I am joined by Gary Davis from Subport, an award-winning quantity surveying consultancy supporting subcontractors to increase profits improve cash and eliminate risk and gary follows his colleague simon robinson who was on the show i think on episode 112 really really good show gary welcome to the show mate how's it going very well sir yeah good good how are you pretty good mate pretty good am i right in understanding that you are in the midlands you're in warwick or that is correct yes yeah all over the country but i happen to be in warwick Fantastic. You know, I was born in Leamington and I spent my life growing up in Stratford, so I know the area well. I never, you're probably one of the first people on the show that I could speak to about the area because not many people come from there contextually. No, that's I wonder whether our paths have crossed somewhere. Possibly, <laughs> yeah. In a pub, probably. Probably. <laughs> yes. So I've given a bit of a brief introduction there on subport more than you. Just talk to us about your own construction journey and experience i started as a, a main contractor qs uh, where i traded qs for a small company in warwick some 20 years ago now but through that journey i've worked for many main contractors everyone from 20 million turnovers small local contractors up to 1.3 billion i think was the largest done everything from education blue light um, commercial you know schools and uh, Imagine, yeah, everything. <laughs> so uh, even you know, dabbled in some residential um, sheds and uh, yeah, everything as well. It's it's been a very a varied journey, but uh, in you know, in where we are now, it's definitely put us in a really good position. Um, there's not a lot that I hadn't come across in my career up to now, um, and certainly you know, working with support and, and having to deal with all all manner of different um, you know issues and things within construction it's been really really good uh, you know couldn't ask for better experience really excellent and so your background is entirely main contract i guess working as an employee for companies just talk to us now about like i'm, I'm guessing there was quite a significant mental shift in like your you're now working for Subport. Uh, just to talk to us about like how that works and what it was that intrigued you to change. There'll be lots of QSs listening to this thinking, I wonder what it's like to go out on your own or you know change the way you're working in some respects. So just talk about that. Yeah, so it's, it is very different and you certainly do see things in a completely different light. I, I've said to people previously, and this I, I don't mean this disparity, but there's some days I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I don't mean I don't know what's going through the door. I literally don't know where to start. So it's it's really quite cool actually relying on all that experience and uh you know 
giving your clients confidence in what you're doing and also taking on uh, the issue they have sometimes where they're literally um, without hope. Um, and it's a, it's a really lovely, rewarding thing, actually, when you get a result for them. Obviously, you do then see their issues from a different side. And certainly when you start as a main contractor QS, you, you pull your hair out at times with some of these, uh, you know, contracts you've dealt with over the years. But, you know, there's, there's reasons for these issues. And there's, you know, you certainly do develop a different level of empathy with subcontractors. Um, it's also nice getting into different areas and packages and, and learning, um, certainly about the different areas of trades and, and the nuances within that um and I, I really really enjoy it actually it's uh it's taken me 20 years to find my niche um and generally do love what i do now excellent that's, that's amazing to hear and what was it that compelled you to make that shift that jump if you like if you want to call it that from employee to what you're doing now well so i, I was working for um a maker tractor actually as a, a senior commercial manager and I, I i don't know i kind of i was a little bit um I don't know, I've kind of fallen out of love a little bit with, with main contracting and, and certainly some of the pressures and everything. Um, I had a friend who had been working for support at the time. So I got, a, uh, got in touch with Simon. Uh, we had a bit of a, you know, Zoom call during lockdown. Um, and the rest is history, you know, taking on an office down here. And it, it's, it's just a very much more rewarding role. If I'm honest. Um, you know, I had, had some great times to make a tractor. I won't be disparaging towards it, but this is just different um and it definitely you know suits me a lot lot more that's i mean it's great to hear and you've you've been a main contractor in the past what is your i think you i think you said you see things completely differently now why what has what what has changed mainly things like the cash flow uh for subcontractors certainly i've been guilty of it when i was a main contractor i would make adjustments to applications assessments and not think too much of it 20 grand not to offer an application, for example, for a subcontract is a lot of money. Um, and it can be the difference between, you know, being able to be a successful company and grow to literally go from application to application, just about make do. And certainly the reason, again, support was started was to provide that commercial support that is completely lacking a lot of the time for, you know, smaller subcontractors who just can't afford in-house QS. So, you know, we, we've stepped in and, you know, we can provide that support and level the playing field certainly with main contractors. Um, and I think that's been the big thing. If you're working as a main contractor, you've got that hierarchy. You've got you, you know, your site QS, your project QS, senior stuff, and everything all the way up to commercial directors. Subcontractors generally don't have that, um, unless they're, you know, on the larger side. So what, you know, what we're doing is, as I say, is leveling the playing field. It's making sure they've got the support they need and any issues they come across. And let's be honest. A lot of subcontractors are brilliant at what they do. They, they really are very good. They're experts in the field, but the nuances of commercial and you know surveying, as, as you know yourself, they don't. They've not been there, and I don't. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We're all here doing a role of construction because that's what you know we're good at. And so, what does what does a typical day in the life of uh, Gary Davis at Subport look like now? Then, oh, what, what are the typical? What are the, <laughs> what, like, we're in a position where. There's a lot of insolvencies, both sub and main contract, even clients in today's market. So we know we we know that we're in a difficult spot market wise. But what are the things that are generally being brought to your table? So yeah, we do a, yeah, I do a mixture of either a, a kind of retainer role where I'm an in-house surveyor, so I might be doing applications, pricing variations, other side of things. We you know do a lot of tendering. Um, and that's taking everything through, you know, from the initial inquiry all the way up to agreeing, you know, the actual quotation and getting to the point of the contract. Um, and then there's obviously the, the dispute side where 
maybe one of my clients has been paid, hasn't been paid what they think they're due. Um, and we're going through the negotiation process of, you know, making sure that the, you know, work is valued fairly. Um, and they are getting paid what they, what they are due. Um, it is becoming slightly more common. Um, it's, it's not, it's not quite as bad as, you know, as we perhaps expected, say midway through this year. Um, but, you know, that, that is the kind of very day that also, you know, we did site visits, measures and everything as well. It's, it is everything from a job in QS up to, yeah, commercial directors level where you're trying to negotiate, um, you yeah, massive disputes and, uh, and get them, get the money in the bank. Protect your clients, basically. And Indeed. Yes. So, yeah. so my, my background, if you didn't know, is that I was always a subcontractor. So the M, I have total empathy for, for what you're saying. And I guess what, I'm interested in because it, it's it's about going back to that, and we're going to talk about applications for payment, so it's relevant. Going back to that cash flow application for payment process in a main contractor, you seem like a very nice, affable person, right? So when you were main contracting, and now when you're reflecting on it, you know you talked about 20k deducted from an application for payment can be the difference between having enough money in the bank as a subject to invest in a piece of plant, do whatever to grow your business to actually deliver you, the main contractor, a better service. Now, this is not a uh, main contractor bashing podcast. Far, far from it. It's actually the opposite, right? But just trying to understand like a better way for us all to work. And I've done things in the past with my sub supply chain, which you know you kind of have to do because you're in a difficult position yourselves. And no one here has it easy. But if you were to go back and speak to, you know, Gary Davis ten years ago, and I'm not saying you did this, but you know, just saying, oh. Ten k here, and as we probably all have done, right? What were the reasons you were doing that? Like, what was your drive at that at that point? So, a, a lot of it, if I'm completely honest, are unknowns. Make attractive curiosities are absolutely honest, are under a lot of pressure. Um, they have their budgets, they have to report. You know, it, it, it's it's a, it's quite a high pressure job. A lot of the times where I made deductions, it was because it was completely unknown as to what the item was, or you know, it hadn't been provided with the substantiation. Um, what yeah, I'd love to see is a cumulative application where you know what your final figure is. If you're handed twenty day worksheets on the day of the application uh, and you've only got a week to assess it, it's it's tricky at times. And I really don't like on account payments. And I yeah, hopefully the industry is moving way away from that now. And we're actually valuing works properly and fairly. But I, the big thing I think is communication, as as always with a lot of things. Pick up the phone, talk, have a meeting before the application goes in. Understand it um, and just get that line of conversation going um because a lot of time you know it's very easy to bury your head in the sand and not necessarily pick up the phone when you're busy um but it's it's such an important thing to have a good relationship with you know your subcontractors the main contractor and making sure you both fully understand where you're at where the work is what the value is and you know it, it leads to getting paid fairly then hopefully and it also helps the main contractor upstream if there's any variations that have come out of the account that they need, you know, they need to start you know, substantiation for that helps them, you know, grow their value as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, we talk about communication. It's it's almost boring how much we talk about communication. It is. <laughs> yeah. on, like, like on, the, on this show, we talk about it so much. And I was I was speaking a couple of days ago, and we, uh, our software company, Sealink, had a new starter who is very senior professional product manager joining our business and. We were talking through 
one of our podcast guests and one of the podcasts and the podcast with guest was a main contractor who invited on who who did this like almost subcontractor fair where they invited everyone in but they tried to do it with a bit of a twist to really bring things forward and we were talking about how amazing it was you know lack of communication that is the start of communication and lots of other subbies that we i've had on the show we're saying that's all we want we want to be brought in we want to have these conversations we want to have be partners and um Jeff, the chap who's new to our business, who isn't a construction guy, uh, said, so that's really revolutionary, is it? And I was like, <laughs> yes. yes. I know it might not sound it, but it absolutely is. So going back to your point, communication, you talked about 10 years ago, you received this application and it's, you know, there's no breakdown. You get day worksheets on the last day. And quite often, I think this is where somehow the industry has to shift its mentality. And this, is, is, this isn't critiquing you 10 years ago because I would have done the same. Everyone listening has probably done the same. We're super busy, loads of stress, and it's quite hard at times to communicate in inverted commas, right? So how would you frame it differently in terms of should you be at the start of every new subcontract relationship saying, whether you're the subby or you're the main contractor, having this meeting saying, this is how we run the application process. I need you to do... X, Y, and Z. If you do that, it's going to be good for me because I can go to the client and get you our money. I can go to the client and get you our variations. If you don't do it for me, I can't go and do those things. We're a team against the client. Almost. I know this sounds a bit wrong in that way, but it's kind of true, right? It is, of course. You know, there was a contractor I worked for, I won't name names, but one team was a good, good, good approach, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'm sure some listeners will know who that is. But, uh, I mean, I, when this only you know, came with maturity and experience, in absolute honesty, um, being a, a bit older and you know, being in the industry a little, little longer. But when we did, you know, pre-lets or subcontractor interviews, that was then part of my process in setting out clearly what we wanted. It even became a... A document within the actual, you know, the actual order. So there was no disparity. Everyone knew exactly what was expected of them, and it worked really well. Um, made sure got all the different, you know, different contact details of various people on site. And go on site, go and see the guys, go and see the supervisors, and go and see what's going on. It really does make a difference. Um, you know, it, we're into winter now, and. I've been as guilty as, as most kind of sat in a warm office. Your side boots have never had any mud or dust but, on them, have they? <laughs> but, uh, but it does really help. Um, and getting to know that the people on the ground as well, it just, you, you pick things up and, you know, you'll learn things as well as you, as you go along. And it does, it helps your case uh, as the main contractor final account as well. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. And it's all like, they're simple changes that you can make before you've even got into the detail and the challenge. And, I barely know anyone who would like to be in that position that you explained of deducting 20K, but deducting 20K because you kind of had to as the main contractor at that point, like you're going to get checked. You're going to be asked, why, why did you pay that? You say, oh, well, I just wanted to do the right thing. I wanted them to invest in their R&D and get that. Yeah. <laughs> you would, that's not how it works, is it? But no, at the same not, time, no. you wouldn't want them to be saying to you, I can't do this now because of that. And like it could be a we we can create a different environment if we try hard enough. I, I really believe we, we that. certainly can. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know sometimes you you have your liability for the month. You get an application that comes in above that, and the, the, the easiest thing is go. Well, I've got no idea. So you pay up to where you can um, because it's 
it's far less of a discussion sometimes where you can't prove increased value, but you can reduce the cost. And again, it's, it's just lack of communication between both parties. And what would your process be as main contractor QS? Say you're leading the entire project. Are you doing your sub-evaluations on Monday, like your sub-site walk valuation on Monday, and then your client ones on Tuesday? Like, How did you manage it so that you didn't find yourself in a position where you were getting paid less than you were potentially paying out? Or was that something that would happen yeah so generally generally we used to ask uh, for applications seven days before the main contract uh, valuation went in which gave us the opportunity then if there's any variations picked up and ensuring we captured everything as well um you know using the specialists the subcontractors to make sure it was all included it then gave us you know a bit of time to go back and forth talk and if there's anything we needed to help our upstream claim then that's what we would do but it sometimes, you know, if applications are late, you, you're not given that opportunity. So you can only, you kind of set a parameter of where you can value the works to. And it's, it's not a good place to be. It, it really isn't. And it's trying it's to get sol- to sub-east specialist exactly. area. And yeah. yeah, it's solely a, you know, case of get them in on time. And if they're asked for on a certain date, they need to be there for a reason. Um, and we're all really busy, but. It, it's so important and we'll, we'll probably come on to later why it's so important but uh, you know yeah no absolutely i think i mean i think it's a really interesting place just for us to take a bit of a pause because we've talked about communication we've talked about process and then in the second half of the show we're going to get into the real detail of the application for payment process i know everyone listening is salivating at the thought, <laughs> and I, at this point i'll take a break and we'll be right back Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded C-Link with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, If you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you, or someone you know, tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. Ooh, applications for payments. What a what a ripper of a topic. But everyone listening will be probably doing one or two each month, if not many, many more, right? So this is critical stuff, guys. So, Gary... You sat on both sides, main and subcontract, with where you are sat now. I want to talk first about you've talked a lot about timings in the first half of the show. Timing's absolutely critical. A lot of contracts come without a schedule of valuation dates in them, which I used to find really quite annoying, to be honest with you, as, as, as a sub. I ended up seeing, right now, now I've got to work this out and then try and plot it out myself. First things first, what should you include one? if you're a main or, or a subcontractor and second if you haven't 
what are your steps? Right. So yeah, yeah, absolutely include one. Um, and if you're, yeah, certainly coming from a subcontract side, ask what is included and also ask that there are dates beyond, uh, the, you know, besieged practical completion date, projects overrun, there's extensions of time, there's other yeah, delays, but there's, it's a little bit of a gray area. Um, if you haven't got dates beyond PC and you're still applying. So definitely make sure that's included. Yeah. There is then. The Construction Act is, is the you know, Housing Grants Construction Regeneration Act 1996 to, to coin it, which does give provisions for what you should be doing for payment. But in first case, I would always try and at, at least make sure in your contract there is a due date and then a, you know, a, a perhaps a, a map that, you know, seven days before due date, you have to apply, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then a file date for payment, you can work out from there. But it's far, far easier for both parties having a, a full schedule of when applications need to go in, when it's due, when payment certificates need to be issued, when the payless certificate needs to be issued, and when the file date for payment is as a bare minimum, and make sure that's in. It just it, it takes out any ambiguity, and it's just far simpler. And is there any reason why, as a main contractor, you wouldn't include one? Or is it just time and effort? I think it is kind of time and effort, but generally, if you've got a main contract, you've got this anyway. If it means adding a column on to when you want your subcontract applications, it's it's not a you know it's not a big deal. Um, yeah, personally, in my experience when I was a contractor, I would always include it just because it's it's so much clearer. Yeah, and would you include? So let's say you're giving me a contract. I'm your subcontractor. It's ja- it's a January to December schedule, which is probably what you've got with your client. Would you go back? Would you go back to back with me, or would you say, "Well, if it overruns, it's just going to be easier for I'll do January to June." What would you do? It's uh, it's a real trick. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would. I'll try and go back. Um, obviously, you'll get the question of, "Well, why do you think you're going to be late?" Yeah, <laughs> Which yeah, is yeah. Always quite exactly. A yeah. one, but it's not worth um, having. I mean, is it? You, you know, it's, you can just explain. It's very rare, unfortunately. No matter how much we do that final accounts are agreed um you know within the period of the project that they usually bubble on for a few few months for various reasons um it's just good practice it, it really is it just it, it de-risks it for both parties to make sure you've got that provision um you don't have to go and rely on a you know bit of third party legislation you can keep it within the contract um and keep the you know the, again, the communication com- and, and conversation going and so if you are this I guess this you're advising subcontractors right now Gary but this advice could apply to both a main contractor or a subcontractor somebody receiving a tender or somebody going through that tender process if I am the subby you're sending me a tender pack and you're saying payment terms 35 days right that it just says one line payment term 35 days what is your advice through that process for me like to should i at this point be saying like you know i've just received a tender i'll send back my quote should i be saying can you send me a valuation date schedule like how should i be managing it because i don't want to get to application one and get it wrong and then i haven't got twenty thousand pounds to spend on my piece of plan all these things how how do you advise your clients to manage it so so we will always ask for clarity um 35 day payment terms can obviously mean a few things. <laughs> is that exactly. days from yeah, yeah. application? Is it 35 days from due date? Is it 35 days from due date? You know, payment <laughs> certificate? You can always be 90 days uh, beyond uh, when you first started work on that application period until you get paid on 35 day terms. If it's, you know, 35 days from the, the payment application, you've potentially got 30 day you know, period of work, 30 day assessment period, and then a 30 day, you know, a 35 day payment period. It's just, you just need to make sure you know exactly what that means. Um, and again, a payment schedule 
will remove all that ambiguity. And I think you've just painted exactly why you need the payment schedule, right? Exactly. Could, that, could, yes. that could mean anything. But so am I going to ask for that at tender stage or do you think wait until kind of like mid tender minutes or pre-let minutes where you say, can we have this before we sign the contract? Can we have evaluation dates uh, schedule? I mean, certainly when it's when it's possible, it's good getting it at tender stage. You may be at a point as a company where, you know, cash flow is, is really key and you may not want to take on projects where you have to effectively bankroll it for up to 90 days. So it's probably good to know before you spend the money tendering and everything else as well, all the process of going through, you know, pre-quals, um, perhaps different insurances, many number of different things. Knowing that before you actually get into, you know, pricing the work and potentially winning it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And so once we have this in place, you talked to me earlier about your example of, uh, I couldn't pay that because the sub didn't include X, Y, and Z in their application. So in very simplistic terms, talk to me about how a contractor should submit their application to ensure that it's going to get paid by the main contractor so that there isn't gary davis in 2004 can't say sorry this is yeah. in there i can't pay you <laughs> uh, that's fine so um i mean the, the things i i used to like to see uh obviously absolutely put it on time do not ever put an application in late it puts you in such a weak position uh, and this this goes for both parties main contractors and subcontractors you, you really do have to adhere to what the contract says otherwise you, you're in such a weak position if anything goes goes awry the other things i like to see as a main contractor were cumulative applications so it's a lot easier to value works to date uh, rather than trying to pick through and value what's been done in the month and it also then you can also build in a running final account so you know the full value of what the projected variations are against yeah obviously the, the, the actual original contract works and if you're submitting something if you can at any point go through mid-month say agree variations to date sit down with the qs again we're all very very busy it is sometimes just not possible but at least with your applications if there's anything that needs substantiating provide the substantiation so marked up drawings well, you know, signed sheets, uh, photos, anything you possibly can to remove that mystique and then, you know, not knowing what certain items are. Do you, we talked about, you know, those site walks and I, it takes me back to being a trainee assistant QS where yeah. <laughs> going around counting panels and whatever else. And, you know, for me, cladding, I was always like, Yep, so this one's about 60% complete, knowing it was 50, like it was a two-way street, right? I was trying to get as much out of it as possible. But do you advise your clients, your subcontractor clients, to do that site walk, i.e. actually go and say, this is where we are, and you kind of almost shake hands on, yeah, I agree, 60%. It is 60%, Paul. That's what you're going to get paid. Do you advise them to go through that process? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's, I'll be honest, it, it's much easier to gain agreement face-to-face than it is over email, for example. So if you can both agree what's done, you both mark the drawing up, you, you're both well aware of what's expected from both parties, and it's so much um, yeah, sort of simpler, and it's uh, it's going to be a more genuine yeah, genuine kind of agreement. Yeah, yeah. And, and when us, and often I think this might be missed in terms of, genuine comprehension or understanding of the process that you go through if i am late taking it back to that and taking it back to my example now of 60 percent. if i am late in submitting for whatever reason you actually will probably 
think, right, I'm going to have to do this without them. Now I'm going to try and get some money in because they've done some something. And you would go around and you say, oh, I think they've done 40% of those cladding panels. And your client might then say, yeah, happy with that, 40%. If you're late, you are giving people the opportunity. Not that you really even wanted to do that, but it's not your specialism necessary to go around and say it's 57% or whatever. You've gone around and done 40%, tried to do what you could. And then you're basically, and I think a lot of people don't understand that if you are late, you're inviting that and nobody wants that. Yeah, that's exactly it. An assessment has to be made. Uh, but if that's not yours, then the maker tractor can do it. Um, you know, I know which way around I'd prefer, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. And so just talk me through then, because it paints the picture. Talk me through, as a main contractor, the pay less notice approach like how that happens because what would be uh, the way i would view it is you know we've got all this schedule laid out in terms of valuation dates somebody needs to provide me with x i then put that into my valuation i try and get paul is 60 but the client says it's not 60 it's like 50 or whatever like how does that actually play out because most people feel like as a subby pay less is like really savage we put that in weeks ago and now you're deducting it out but talk to me from like a, that main contractor perspective so I, I mean i'll go firstly from a subcontract perspective because it's i think it's important but i, I do feel that the pay less notice is used very much incorrectly we are getting an awful lot of you know no payment certificates so the you know the application then becomes it's, it's quite a nuanced process but then a pay less notice is sent instead a pay less notice, again, from a manufacturer point of view, it should be an adjustment to the payment notice um, if something is has come up you know, beyond the point where that has actually been issued. So, you know, for example, let's take cladding. You, you value 60%. You find that maybe 10% of that is potentially defective. It needs investigating. So you, you pay less down to 50%. And that, that, I feel, is the purpose of a pay less notice. Not to necessarily make an assessment or you know down assess an application the the, the down assess of the application should come through the payment notice uh, yes yeah that, yeah that, that's, because yeah yeah you're having you you at that point you've had your you've had your payment notice and your conversation with your client exactly that's when it, sh- it should chime through which is why at times and when the pay less lands it's squeaky bum time isn't it or there's a lot of frustration flying around and so and so what can you do as a contractor who receives a, a pay less notice, because it almost feels quite often, you know, it's five days or whatever before the final date for payment. It also, it almost feels like, you know, a shot to the gut, isn't it? Like, it, it, well, yeah, what, what, what can so. I do about the fact that you're saying they're defective? I don't think they are defective, that 10% and you're deducting it. That could very well be that 20K. That is the 20K that I was kind of banking on, right? So we're, we're tying it all together quite nicely here. So as a contractor... A subby, when that happens, what would be say that happened to one of your clients? Mm. What would your process be? So it, it's sometimes very difficult, as you allude to. We've again, we would always challenge this, but sometimes our, our contracts have had terms where the pay less notice can be a day before the final date for payment, which is exactly you yeah. can't do anything about that. That is literally if it's sent at you know five o'clock in the evening, and it's payment next day. You, you can't do a single thing. I would all the best way again is heading off at the pass. 
making sure that agreement's there um, and make sure that, you know, if there's defective works, obviously that's going to then impact the main contractor, for example, and their client. So you need to make sure that dialogue, dialogue is open and you can talk openly as to, to where it is and what potential issues are because it, it also helps the main contractor. It's, it is difficult to challenge them um, retrospectively if you've been issued them, providing they are done in, you know, in line with the contract, in line with the payment schedule. So the, the first thing is to not let them happen, <laughs> which uh, I appreciate is a very difficult thing to say. Um, but that is certainly what, what we always try and do and, and why we try and agree things up front, uh, make sure applications as robust as possible. Everything's agreed. The walk around's done and, you know, there, there's very little room for, for things. Again, this is, it all kind of goes. T- back to process and communication it sounds so simple but in many ways it is right because these contracts were drafted they're complicated aren't they but they were drafted to try and to try and give balance to both sides right so if you are at the start of the job you have a the valuation date schedule big big tick you don't even have to have that conversation if then before application one you as the nice main contractor say to me as the charming subcontractor you say (laughs) let's let i just just want to clarify my expectations these are my expectations you need to do x y and z otherwise i'm going to be in a bit of a pickle myself just do it and i will look after you and i'll 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 fight your corner so that makes a big difference then valuation one two three four come around and me and you have walked around site every single time built up a bit of rapport built up a, a relationship built up trust right Trust in A, that I'm not submitting stupidly, but also B, that I'm always on time. And, and you as a main contractor all of a sudden think, yeah, I can rely on you, I can rely on you. And you're, I then become someone you don't want to mess around, right? And if you if that 60 to 50% thing comes around, I'm hoping you're going to fight my corner as opposed to it could easily be that we never talked about the valuation dates. Yeah, and actually, and actually, I've signed a contract. Now I understand that I'm pretty annoyed about it because it's actually ten days worse or whatever. Or yes, final yeah, day yeah. for payment is one day back. We don't have a walk around. You don't tell me your expectations. I submit a day late. You're annoyed. You know, it gets down to application two, three, four, and then you're you as the main contractor think, well, I've got to make some money up from somewhere in this payment cycle I, I don't i don't know what that psyche is and you'd look around and you might think well it's a lot easier to do it to the guy that hasn't been proactive do you see what i mean i i, I do entirely i don't think it's, it's making money up it's it's managing risk all the time um there's only a finite pot of money obviously and you know if you if you're if you're certain what the value is of a package it's a lot Obviously, you know, you're not going to go and reduce it down to something that's unfair. Whereas if you don't know, it's obviously a lot easier to make your own assessment. And, um, you, you know, again, it comes down to, to that understanding between both parties. So, it, it, like as you say, it's so important just to go and just build that rapport. 100%. And is there anything that we've missed? Is there anything else you'd like to add around what best practices or have we covered it? I think we mostly covered it. So, you know, on time, substantiate, make sure you've got a running fund account and a cumulative application. And just th- those simple things will make it so much easier. And I was actually, to be fair, another thing would be put it in Excel. 
<laughs> because uh, <laughs> I used to absolutely hate getting applications in PDF or something. Because if you've got Excel, you can you, you know you can adjust it. Uh, you can even put it into your own application. It's so much I easier. I need to adjust it though, mate. It is. It, that's the fuck. No, 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 I know what it's done. But, uh, no, but that 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 it makes perfect sense. That that goes back to that meeting number one, doesn't it? If you send it to me in Excel, yeah. Otherwise, it's going to cost me an hour or two. Exactly. I don't want to waste an hour. Yeah, Look at, exactly. and that's you know trust repeated process and relationship isn't it so i think on that note we've covered things really really nicely there and there will be people i'm sure thinking you know what that valuation journey next month i'm going to do it differently or concluding a tender and i think that it's simple stuff but it's really really good stuff so thank you so much for coming on to the show mate really really great to meet a fellow warwickshire (laughs) friend who's also a qs who also cares about subbies that's that's unbelievable so thanks for coming on the show mate excellent mate thanks for having me it's been brilliant thank you fantastic mate and guys i will speak to you next week have a fantastic weekend cheers